Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Cronin, and today we're discussing the power of enthymemes. Enthymemes are one of the most powerful tools for persuading people to take action, and yet hardly anyone knows about them. So in this episode, we're going to define what enthymemes are, describe what makes them so powerful, and provide real-world examples so you can start to recognize and use enthymemes in your own daily life. Let's start with a definition. The first person to talk about enthymemes was Socrates thousands of years ago, and he referred to them as, quote, the strongest of all rhetorical proofs, a kind of syllogism. And a syllogism is a logical argument that uses deductive reasoning. So you have a major premise, a minor premise, and then therefore a conclusion. So for instance, all men are mortal, I am a man, therefore I am mortal. It's almost like a mathematical equation or a mathematical proof, except you use words instead of numbers. An enthymeme is the exact same thing as a syllogism, except you leave something out. So whereas in a syllogism you state the major premise, minor premise, and conclusion, with an enthymeme you only state one of the premises, or you state both premises but you don't state the conclusion. And therefore, you're letting the audience fill in the rest of what you're trying to convey. And this is part of what makes it so powerful. It's not like you're giving someone the exact equation. You give people most of the equation, and then they use their own assumptions, their own biases, and they fill in the rest. And it's also really hard to argue against an enthymeme because you're not fully stating the argument. You're only implying what the full argument is, and then your audience does the rest. So let's look at a few examples to make this more clear. Two of the biggest and most impactful enthymemes have been the political slogans of the last two presidents of the United States. So in Obama's presidency, his slogan that was super effective was, yes, we can. And this is a sort of enthymeme because you're not fully stating what the rest of the argument is. Yes, we can what? What is the we part? Uh, you know, who is included in that we, and what is it that we can do? And the yes implies that there are naysayers that are saying, no, we can't do that. So the reason this is so powerful is because anyone who feels like they have been part of a group that's been told, no, you can't do that, they all of a sudden feel like, well, yes, we can. And the we can part makes you envision all of the positive things that you would like to have happen in this country, which is way more effective than if he had just listed out exactly what he wanted to do. Like if he had said, yes, we can have health care for all, that's not nearly as impactful because only some people really care about health care for all. Other people care about other causes. So by making it more broad and inclusive and allowing all of his supporters to fill in their hopes and dreams about where they want this country to go, that's what made it so impactful. That's part of what won him the presidency. And then with Trump's election in 2016, his slogan of make America great again was also super effective as an enthymeme because it allowed all of Trump supporters to fill in what used to be great about America, what's not so great anymore, and what we need to do to change things. So if he had said instead, like, we want fewer immigrants, we want America first, we want 
uh, nationalism as opposed to globalism, none of that would have been nearly as persuasive because you're only talking about part of what is included in this overall sentiment of going back to the former heydays of America. So obviously those are very different examples and they appeal to different types of people, but they're effective as enthymemes because they allow people to fill in the rest of the argument with what they most desire about achieving in their own life and for the future of the country. Let's talk a little bit about what makes enthymemes so powerful. And Socrates had some interesting insights here when he was writing about it 2000 plus years ago. He says that for any persuader to be effective with an audience, they need three things, ethos, pathos, and positioning. Ethos is what your audience thinks of you. Do they think favorably of you? Are you seen as a good citizen? Do you have good social standing, good reputation? That's the most important starting point. You also need good pathos, which means your words need to elicit a strong emotional reaction. If you go up there and just talk about numbers and data and metrics, no one's going to feel persuaded. You need to bring up issues and emotions and words that have strong emotional valence. So they make you feel surprised or upset or happy or some sort of emotion that drives action. And finally, you need positioning. You need to position your argument towards a certain group or a certain set of beliefs because you can't be everything to everyone. A lot of politicians make the mistake of trying just not to upset anyone. I think Hillary made this mistake. And the problem is you come off as being vague and inauthentic and non-persuasive. You're better off really strongly speaking to a group of people and really showing them that you have a strong bond uh, rather than trying to be everything to everyone. The other reason enthymemes are so powerful is that by leaving something unsaid, you're creating an unspoken bond between yourself, the speaker, and your audience. And this is related to a German word that I love and think of often, Hintergedanken, which means a thought way, way in the back of your head. And people have these thoughts way in the back of your head. Whenever you say any sort of word, people have all of these preconceived notions about what that word means, and by tapping into those unspoken associations, you can really form a strong bond between the speaker and the audience. So for instance, I'm gonna say a few words and just think what comes to mind, what images come to mind when I say these words. Okay, ready? Choice, diversity, freedom, American flag, so all of these words have very different associations depending on if you're American, if you're not American, if you're Democrat, if you're Republican, if you're a child, if you're an adult, what your news uh, consumption habits are like. So, you know, there is something really powerful in the notion of not treating your audience like a dummy and instead treating your audience like a close friend and confidant that you don't have to state everything explicitly. It's all implied. And this reminds me of an Ogilvy quote where he says, the customer is not a moron. She's your wife. And what he's getting at is that you shouldn't treat the customer or your constituents or whoever your audience is as a child where you need to state everything very explicitly Instead, you can treat them more like you would at a dinner table conversation. And when you take that approach of familiarity and you leave things unsaid, that tends to result in more bonding, more feeling of association between the audience and the speaker. 
And this is also why inside jokes and callbacks are so effective in stand-up comedy. So I have a good example from Anthony Jeselnik where he said, quote, I told my wife all I wanted for Christmas was an Xbox. Instead, she got me a framed photo of us for my first date. But that's okay, because I got her an Xbox. <laughs> so what makes this joke funny is that it's obviously implied that Anthony Jeselnik didn't get the Xbox for his wife to play. He got it for himself to play. But he never says that anywhere in the joke. You have to know a little bit about Anthony Jeselnik and his style of humor in order to discern that. And because of that, you then feel a stronger association with Anthony Jeselnik and his humor, and you're more likely to watch his next Netflix special. And all comedy, all comedians who are great at their job, they use enthymemes skillfully like a surgeon. Marketers also use enthymemes all the time, and pretty much any good ad slogan or copy line is going to be some sort of enthymeme. You're never going to have an ad perform really well that just states things in a very textbook-like A plus B equals C kind of formula. You need to let the audience participate in some sort of way where they supply something. So I'll give a couple of marketing examples of enthymemes. One is, when a man is tired of London, he is tired of life. And the implied thing is that London's a great place to live, but wouldn't be nearly as effective if you just said London is a great place to live. Another example, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The part that's implied is that Vegas is unspeakably fun. You will do things here that are so fun that they have no connection with the rest of your normal life. Another one, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer Dos Equis. This is really brilliant positioning because it's positioning Dos Equis as the best of all beer in that whole category, but it also opens up the audience to people who aren't just beer fanatics. They also like wine and whiskey and whatever else. Uh, in addition to marketing examples, there are so many good enthymeme examples from Mark Twain. And part of why people are always quoting Mark Twain and they always stick in people's minds is because they are enthymemes. He's leaving something out and letting you fill in the rest. So here are some examples. I have never let my schooling interfere with my education. The implied part is that learning in school is not the same or nearly as valuable as learning things through life's experiences. Another one. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. So the implied point here is that the majority is often wrong and people are often swayed by the bandwagon effect. So if you find yourself on the majority, you may actually be in the wrong. Another one. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. So what's implied here is that difficulty remembering is usually the result of false lies that you spun in the past. Therefore, don't lie and you won't have to worry about that problem. Another one. There's three types of lies. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. <laughs> and I love this one because it shows that statistics don't fully represent the truth. There are a lot of issues with the way data is collected, reported, the way polling is done. So they're not to be considered the same as truth. And then finally, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. So what's implied here is that you don't know why you were born when you are born. It takes some years of living your life to find your place within the larger cybernetic collective. 
And this creates a, what Robert Cialdini called a click whir effect. And he coined this term, which describes so much of what we do in our day-to-day -day life. And we have these internal and external triggers that then create this click whir response that leads to almost an automated action or routine that we do almost without having to think about it. So for example, I may pull out of my driveway on my way to work and I instantly activate my commute mode. I know exactly which streets to take. I know all the typical patterns of how long the light is, where to turn left, what to look out for. I hardly even have to think about it. I could be listening to a podcast and it all happens more or less autonomously. Same thing where I may glance at my phone at the end of a long day, it's 9.30 p.m. and that may trigger my nighttime routine mode where I go, I brush my teeth, I wash my face, I lock the house, I turn off the lights and I go to sleep. Or I may be scrolling through Instagram and I see an ad that based on the combination of the words that are conveyed, the value proposition, the visual, it triggers my, oh, this will create more value in my life mode. And so I purchase, I go through my normal purchase behavior. So all of these are default modes that get activated based on certain triggers. And when you use enthymeme skillfully, you could trigger someone's feeling of patriotism or feeling of wanting to help others or the good feelings that comes with helping others. Or it may trigger guilt and you feel like you have to do something or else you're a bad person. Or it could trigger nostalgia, which Don Draper talks about and how your feelings of what it used to be like as a kid, that may take you back to a certain mindset that may lead you to purchase or donate or do some other form of action. So this click where effect is super powerful and it's really crucial that we recognize when it's being used against us and we also need to be mindful of how we use this towards others. Now let's get into the future scenarios. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is that people continue to be manipulated by enthymemes, and because of that, they end up supporting corrupt governments, corrupt politicians, and corrupt organizations. And this is something that happens daily, and it's really tragic to see, which is that politicians, organizations, and other malicious actors will use concepts that are anchors in people's psyche in order to further their own goals. So for instance, how many times have you heard Christianity or the name of Jesus Christ or some quote of the Bible be misused to justify some war in the Middle East or some sort of act of violence or some sort of interference in some other country? It happens all the time. And obviously, you know, what we know about Jesus Christ is that he was an immigrant who was very accepting of others, he was forgiving of others, he was kind, he was basically like this marauding hippie, but he has been used to justify, you know, from the Crusades all the way to modern wars in the Middle East. So this is obviously an act of manipulation because people so strongly have feelings of positivity towards Christianity and religion. It's a really powerful lever that malicious actors can use. Also, the concept of America and patriotism has been used maliciously, where, especially you know, after September 11th, for instance, going to war in the Middle East was largely brought about by activating people's sense of patriotism and how much they love America. And you almost didn't need to make the full argument of like, 
well, you love America, therefore we're going after these terrorists in the Middle East. And you didn't really have the second premise of how that really helps create a better America. We had some justification for weapons of mass destruction. Turns out there wasn't really weapons of mass destruction. So you can see how you start with something that is real and meaningful, like I love America, I want my fellow Americans to be safe, or I love Christianity, I, I think Jesus Christ is an exemplary figure. And then you, you go from that to something horrible, like starting a war or supporting some sort of corrupt regime. And this really is the worst case scenario for Anthem memes. And unfortunately, it can be used to bring about a fascist government that's nationalistic, like China or like Germany in the 1930s. Or it could also be used to bring about communism in the vein of Venezuela, where nothing works well, uh, it's total institution collapse, there's not enough food to go around. So both of those outcomes are obviously terrible. And I would say the next worst case scenario would be that we really want to make changes in the world, we want to improve society, but we're not skillful enough with the enthymemes that we use in order to make that persuasive. So I'll give one example from the Black Lives Matter movement. I would argue that the movement, super important, we very much needed police reform, but the defund the police enthymeme was very ineffective and counterproductive because it, it left part uh, something out, which is what does defund mean? And if you look it up, it means remove all funding, but people have very different ideas of what defund means. Some people feel like, well, it means reallocate funding. It means reduce funding and improve the level of policing or whatever it is. But the problem is that it created all of these negative and fearful associations that people could conjure up in their own mind about what that would mean in their neighborhood and their city. And therefore, it was actually counterproductive to the cause itself. So I think if we can use enthymemes properly, and especially enthymemes that give some sort of air of hope and let people fill in positive things as opposed to negative things, then I think we'll be much more effective at creating the positive change that we want to see in the world. Now let's talk about the best case scenario. Best case scenario. The best case scenario is that we become more and more finely attuned to anthem memes over time. And we can already see this among digital natives, people who grew up on the internet. They are very savvy about knowing when something is false, when something is true, when something is said authentically, when something is said inauthentically. And I think the more that we become native to the internet, the more we will be able to make those distinctions. And especially if we do end up having this, quote, layer zero of truth underlying the entire internet through the blockchain, then I believe it will be much easier to know when someone is being authentic, when they're just trying to manipulate others. I also think that if we can use enthymemes in the right way, it can be an incredible force for good. And one of my favorite enthymeme users is Andrew Yang. His whole campaign had these really powerful enthymemes that created this sense of positivity that people could fill in for themselves. So for instance, humanity forward, or not left, not right, forward, or the freedom dividend as opposed to universal basic income. 
all of these are concepts that are positive and they don't tell you the whole story, but they allow you to fill in the rest of the story. And that's a really great way to point towards the future where we want to go. Now let's talk about the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. The most likely scenario is that enthymemes are here to stay and they will only become more powerful over time. And it's important to note that it's not just limited to verbal enthymemes. We focused on that in this episode because we are an audio-based podcast, even though you can also watch us on YouTube. But visual enthymemes have become super prominent in the last five to 10 years. Specifically, there's the Wojak memes, which you've probably seen, even if you don't know the name for them. And these are black outlined cartoon characters that speak to one another sort of like in a comic strip, except they're meant to be more generalized. So rather than a comic strip where you've got like, you know, Snoopy and Charlie Brown and they're all specific characters, a Wojak is meant to be an abstract generalized representation of some type of person. So you might have the virgin versus the Chad, or you might have dad versus son. And a lot of times they're offensive, they're wrong, they're mean. Uh, so they're not always a force for good in the pure sense of them as, as standalone memes, but I would say they're really important for people to understand one another, to understand each other's differences in an abstract way. And it's almost like a new language that people can use to communicate. You know, I talked about this in an episode a long time ago, but emoji is the first language that transcends any verbal or written language. You can use emojis. It doesn't matter what language someone speaks. They will know what you're trying to get across. And Wojaks are kind of like the next evolution of that, where you have something that's more information dense than an emoji, but it still allows you to t have the same abstract takeaways that transcend culture in a way that the written word just doesn't. So I think memes like Wojaks, visual memes, anthem memes, written memes, all of this meme culture is only going to become more and more powerful. And it's an important way for us to understand what we want to create in the future and what sort of challenges we still have to overcome. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I've been really fascinated with Anthem memes recently. First episode of 2021. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future.
If you enjoy thinking about the future as much as we do, we invite you to join the HTF community. Simply go to hencethefuture.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and add your email address next to the button that says, Enter the Void. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Hence the Future. And, most importantly, we encourage you to please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Our team reads and appreciates every single review. Thank you again for listening to today's episode and for staying curious, and we'll see you next week.